Thanks for joining us on the Hope Podcast. Hope Community Church exists to love people where they are and help them grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. By pursuing this relationship together, we can change the world. For message notes and links to big things going on at Hope, check out the notes section below. When you're done listening to this episode, take a minute to follow us here, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and download our free app. From there, you can find all of our recent message content, additional resources, and more. If you like what you hear today, we encourage you to share this with your friends or family. Enjoy. Well, what's going on, Hope Community Church? Now, you didn't think I was going to put Kirk Franklin on and not have fun, right? Like, I'm going to have a good time with that song. I'm just going to tell you right now. Uh, I am excited to be here with you. I'm excited to spend this time with you today as we continue this series that we've been in for the past few weeks that we've been calling Summer Series Live. And every single week you've heard from a different speaker, and every one of them has shared a story Uh, something from the Bible that has impacted their lives greatly when they were growing up. And that's why they put pictures up of us when we were kids. And if you saw that picture earlier, um, I I had something during that time that is different called hair. Um, And then I had kids and no more hair. Like you can see what the the problem is there, right? Um, But it was just a different time in my life. And I have done a lot of living God has blessed me to be on some unique journeys and to have some amazing experiences. And they've not just been in the U.S. I've had the privilege and the honor of living all around the world and experiencing things all around the world. Um, For those of you who don't know my story, uh, I am a retired United States Marine. So I spent a lot of time. Yeah, praise God. Thank you. And so I got a chance to spend time on active duty all throughout the U.S. And then a few years back... um, Uncle Sam, my uncle, called me and pushed me towards Okinawa, Japan to live. And so for eight years, my family got the privilege of living in Japan. And so we packed up everything. We moved our whole family over to Japan. And for the first two years, I was on active duty as a United States Marine. And then I retired from that role, served as a chaplain at a Christian school for a couple years, and then left that role and got a privilege to serve as a pastor on staff in the middle of Japan. And let me just tell you, Okinawa is like paradise. I was suffering for Jesus in paradise. (laughs) Phenomenal experience. It was awesome. And I had to learn new things. And when you move to a new country, you got to learn the traditions and the culture. And so I had to exchange some things. Now, in America, I I eat breakfast mostly every day. And my breakfast of choice is bacon and eggs and bacon. Like, that's kind of what I do. Like, that's, that's my, my choice. And when I moved to Japan, I had to exchange that for rice and spam. And let me just say, not an easy trade-off. Not at all. But I figured it out, and I learned how to do it. And then I had to learn the language in Japan. So I had to show up into rooms and say, Ohayou gozaimasu, watashi wa san, ginki desu Which loosely translated means, uh, my name's Duane. What's up? But I learned how to do it. (laughs) And then I had to learn how to drive in that country. And let me just say, if you've never had to drive in another country, it is hard to do. So the steering wheel is on the other side of the car, and traffic goes the opposite direction of the U.S. And so I had to learn how to drive that way against everything that I had learned growing up. But finally, after almost eight years, seven years and some change, I learned how to drive on the opposite side of the road. And wouldn't you know it, that was the time when God called my family back to the U.S. And so we moved back here to America, and we moved to a place you may have heard of it. It's called Apex. They say that it's the peak of good living. 
and that's where we moved to. We don't live there anymore. Apparently, it wasn't that much of the peak, but I'm just saying. We moved there for a little while, and, and then uh, I tried to figure out how to drive back in America, and unfortunately, my Okinawa driving did not leave me very quickly. And so I remember one day driving through Apex, and all of a sudden, I turned out into traffic going the wrong direction. And let me just say, um, it might not have been the peak of good living, but it was the peak of good yelling because Apex folks yelled at me. <laughs> like they rolled their windows down. They yelled at me. Uh, they let me know very clearly that I was going the wrong direction. One guy even let me know that I was number one in his book. Like he rolled his window down. I think he's a greeter at one of our Apex services. I really do. <laughs> Keep looking at him. <laughs> But I was going the wrong way, and this one guy rolls down the window, and he yells something at me, and I wanted to respond back with something equal to what he had said, but I responded in Christian love, and the only thing I could muster up to say was these words, I wasn't going the wrong way on purpose. <laughs> and I got out of the car finally and got going on the right direction, and I wasn't going the wrong way on purpose, not at all. But here's the thing. There have been times when I have gone the wrong way on purpose. There have been times in my life, and I'm guessing in yours, when you uh, have known the right way to go, but for whatever reason have chosen, instead of going the right direction, uh, have chosen to go the wrong direction. Maybe uh, God has made it clear to you the pathway ahead, but for whatever reason you've chosen to go in the opposite direction of his plan because we have a tendency to go the wrong way. And not by accident either. I think if we're honest, there are times in our lives where we go the wrong way on purpose. And here's the challenge with that. You see, in the Bible, that makes it very clear that, that the reason why we're here on earth is to follow God's perfect plan and God's will for our lives. You see, the most important assignment that we have in life is to find and follow God's will. If you were to look at Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it says that we are here to test and approve what is that good and perfect work of God in our lives. And so we're supposed to find and follow God's plan and not our own. But we get off course. And then the questions begin to abound. What happens when we go the wrong direction on purpose? Does God just kind of leave us where we are? Uh, does he find us in the midst of our lostness and try to give us cues to get back on track? Uh, does he encourage us to grow in our relationship with him? Does he find a way to get our attention? Or does he just leave us right where we are and let us languish? Well, fortunately for us, there are tons of stories in the Bible of people who got off track. And I believe that if we read the word of God tonight together, we will find uh, uh, some answers for those questions. And we'll also see how God responds to people who get lost. And this is one of my favorite stories in all of the Bible. So if you have your Bible here, what I want you to do, go ahead and turn over to the book of Jonah. And tonight, we're going to be reading a little bit about Jonah. We're going to start at chapter 1. Now, I call this snapshots in the book of Jonah because we're not going to go through every verse, but we're going to go through a lot of verses. And that's okay. We're at church, but we're going to read it together. Uh, we're going to start at chapter 1, verse 1, and we're going to read all the way through. Now, before we get there, I want to give you some idea of who Jonah is and what this book is all about. Let me start with this disclaimer. This book is not about a fish. I'm just going to say that right up front. 
You see, when I was a child, all of the Jonah stories talked about the fish. And I think the fish is an important part of the book of Jonah. It's only four chapters. It's short. But the fish is not the essential part of the whole book. You see, this is not a story about a fish. It's a story about God's care and love for his people, even when they choose to be disobedient to him. And Jonah is known as a prophet. And if you uh, have ever read the Bible, you see prophets all throughout the Old Testament. And Jonah is also known as like the reluctant prophet because he's the one who didn't exactly do what God told him to do when God told him to do it. And so this whole book is about that story. So if you have your Bibles, here's what it says when we get to Jonah chapter 1 verse 1. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and he sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Sound the alarm, fire the Olympic gun, let the running begin. You see, Jonah hears the word of the Lord, and instead of choosing to be obedient, he runs in the opposite direction. He tries to get on a ship to go away from God's will and God's plan for his life. And here's the thing. At face value, I think if we're honest, we make a little bit of a judgment of Jonah's story. We kind of see it and go, man, that Jonah just didn't choose to do what's right, right? That Jonah, right? That doggone Jonah just choosing to go in the opposite direction of God's plan. But if we were to take a step back, I think we would find a lot of similarities to what Jonah is experiencing. You see, there's two emotions that are right at the forefront of what Jonah is experiencing. And the first one we're probably very familiar with, he's experiencing fear. You see, the area that he's going into, Nineveh, is known as one of the most brutal areas in all of history. Uh, People who went into Nineveh and went to war with that area, they were killed and their bodies were hung at the gates to send a message to anybody who came into Nineveh that this is what would happen to you. You see, they're a part of the Assyrian Empire, and as such, they are Jonah's sworn enemy. And he's afraid. You see, that area of Nineveh is what we know today as Mosul, Iraq. And I can remember, like Jonah, heading into that area. Uh, years ago, I was in combat there, and I remember getting off the plane and getting ready to walk into battle and being terrified of what I'm about to face. And I bet Jonah is terrified because he knows what he's about to encounter. If he goes to Nineveh, it could mean his death. Or worse. And he's afraid. You ever felt afraid? Afraid of what God calls you to do. You see, he's scared of what that might mean. And he's also experiencing this other emotion that we're probably familiar with as well. Uh, it, it's a little bit of indifference, maybe a little bit of bias towards the Ninevites. Because Jonah has, has experienced God's grace, but he doesn't necessarily want his enemy to experience that same kind of grace. And so he chooses to not grant them access to that grace. And instead, he wants to run. That's his Nineveh. That's his fear. Uh, That's his biased experience. And so uh, here's the thing. I want to ask you tonight, what is your Nineveh? 
What's the thing that stops you in your tracks? Uh, What's the thing that God wants you to do with your life that maybe you don't want to do and maybe you're afraid of? And Nineveh's come in all shapes and sizes in our lives. You see, Nineveh might be for you a fear of sharing your faith with other people. And so God has been calling you to more and and you're just kind of standing off and you've drawn a line in the sand and said, I don't want to do that. And so for you, the more that God wants for you has become your Nineveh. Or, Or maybe it's a relationship that's gone awry, maybe with a family member or a coworker, or, or, or a, a roommate, a doormate, and for whatever reason, the relationship has gone off the rails, and you know that God is a God of reconciliation, and he wants you to go back in and have the conversation that you need to have, and you have drawn a line in the sand and said, I don't want any part of that. And for you, reconciliation has become your Nineveh. Maybe for you, God has been telling you over and over again to share your faith in your workplace or with your neighbors. And every time you see them coming, you have the thought that you want to share it, but then you walk in the opposite direction. What's your Nineveh? What's the thing that stops you in your tracks and sends you in the opposite direction? Because here's the thing. It's important for us to know our Ninevehs because God sometimes calls us to do things that we don't want to do. He calls us into places that we don't want to go. You see, God is not a God who just gives us comfort. Sometimes he gives us challenge. And he walks us into situations that he knows are hard for us. And the goal is not to break us. The goal is with the hope that we will put our hand in his and trust him with the outcome. So let me just ask you, what's your Nineveh? What's the thing that stops you in your tracks? And here's the problem. Uh, Our Ninevehs have consequences. Like when we choose not to do the thing that God asks us to do, when we don't go towards our Nineveh, there are consequences both for the people who are close to us and for the people who God might be trying to use us to reach. And when we get to verse 4, Jonah starts to experience those consequences. Here's what it says. It says, then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. And such a violent storm arose that the ship was threatened to break up. And all the sailors were afraid, and each cried to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down, and he fell into a deep sleep. And so the captain went to him and said, how can you be asleep, man? Get up, call on your God, and maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. These guys are terrified. And Jonah's decision has now impacted them. And they're a whole group of pagan sailors. These guys have a multitude of gods that they worship, and everybody's calling on their own god, but they know that something's wrong. They know that there's a problem, and Jonah is asleep in the bottom of the ship, just kind of chilling. And these guys are scared, and so they walk down there. They tell them to wake up, and everything seems to point to Jonah because there wasn't a storm before he got on the boat, and now there is a storm. And so as you read through the text, these guys cast lots, which is like a a game of chance. I just picture it like an old Kansas City hustler rolling some dice. These guys roll the dice, and even the dice point to Jonah. And they know that there's a problem here. They start asking Jonah questions. Man, where are you from? What are you doing? Call on your God. And finally, when we get 
to chapter, excuse me, to verse 9, he answers. And he says, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And this terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? You see, they knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. And the sea was getting rougher and rougher. And so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up, Jonah says, and throw me into the sea. And it will become calm because I know that this is my fault, that the storm has come up on you. And instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. And then they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man for you. Lord, we have done as you have pleased. And then they took Jonah and they threw him overboard into the raging sea, and the sea grew calm. And at this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they themselves began to make vows to him. You see, these guys are terrified. And Jonah tells them, just throw me overboard, man. I, I know I'm in the wrong. Just, just throw me overboard. And as you read the text, like when you read through that portion, you can see the fear in these guys' hearts. Like you can see it jumping off the page. They're just they're like, why is this even happening? And everything seems to point to Jonah. And so they're terrified now with Jonah because Jonah has impacted them. And there's these two things that just jump out of the text. The first one is that we can't outrun God. No matter how hard we try, we can't outrun God. We can't outrun God by boarding a boat to Tarshish. We can't outrun God by, by boarding a flight to Florida. We can't outrun God by running a marathon to Mexico. There's no way to outrun God. And so to try to do that would just be foolishness. But and here's the thing. When we describe God, there's these two words that we often talk about with God. We say that he is omnipotent, which means he's all-powerful. And that he's omnipresent, which means he has the power to be everywhere at once. You see, God is outside of time and space. So how do you outrun a God like that? A God who finds us even when we flee. A God who searches for us like a father who's lost his child at the mall, relentless. Like a shepherd who has lost one of his sheep. How do you outrun a God like that? Uh, the Bible says that God knits us even in our mother's womb and that he crafts plans for us even as we enter into this world. And so he knows us and he knows our tendency to flee and he pursues us no matter how much we try to outrun him. You see, I love the way the Psalms talks about this kind of reality of God pursuing us. It says, where can I run from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. We can't outrun God. And when we try, we pursue a fool's errand. Here's the thing. I remember my days of trying to outrun God. 
And there were people in my sphere of influence who actually weren't Christians like these pagan sailors. People who would see me out at a club or at a party or somewhere where I wasn't supposed to be. And they would say, dude, that doesn't even seem like you. Why are you out here? Go home. Because they knew I was out of place. They knew that I was running. And God used even people who weren't believers to get my attention. What has he done to get your attention? You see, the problem when we're running is not that we can't hear the voice of God. The problem when we're running is that we can't stop hearing the voice of God. He shows up all over the place. Even when we're running, he shows up in in people who we don't even expect to hear it from. And they say things like, man, you're in the wrong place. You're doing the wrong thing. Go home and call on your God. Because he knows us. You see, the first thing that emerges is this idea that we can't outrun God. Uh, The second thing that emerges is that God's plan impacts the people who are around us. You see, when God tells us to do something, he knows that he has a plan and what he's telling us to do. And it impacts the people around us when we choose to run away from that plan. It impacts our friends. It impacts our families, the people who are in our sphere of influence. They feel the choice that we have to run. I think back to the guy who shared the gospel with me. He was a Marine, and he was in my sphere of influence. And I often think, like, what if he ran instead of sharing the gospel with me? And what if I ran instead of sharing the gospel with the people who God has sent me to? You see, I think when we get into the phase that we want to run, um, if we're honest, We start thinking so much about ourselves that we lose sight of the people who are around us. We lose sight of our family members and our friends. And the people who we really don't think about that much are the people who God might use us in the future to impact. Who knows who God might use us to reach? You see, here's the thing. Our disobedience impacts the people around us. But our obedience also benefits the people who are around us. And so when we choose not to run and instead to stand strong in the will of God, it makes a difference. I think it makes all the difference. But Jonah chooses instead to run. I mean, wouldn't it be nice to know that because of our obedience and following God, we got to step into a part of his plan, not just for us, but for all of humanity. I want to know that, and I want you to know that as well. But Jonah chooses to run, and it has a consequence. And when we get down to the end of it, you see, God has tried to send uh, these sailors to get Jonah's attention. He sent the storm to get Jonah's attention. And now he may, takes it just a step further. And when we get to verse 17, this small uh, thing happens. It's really inconsequential. It's not that big of a deal. The Bible says, now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. Not that important, right? You've been swallowed by a fish, haven't you? <laughs> he sends a fish to swallow Jonah up. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. 
And I really do think that this is a big part of the story of Jonah for a number of reasons. Um, uh, it's really an important thing. And so I think if we're honest, like we, we see it and it gives us some questions, but it's still a really important part of it. And if we're not careful, we'll get stuck here asking the question, was it a literal fish? Was it a physical fish? Like what kind of fish was it? Was it a whale? Was it a marlin? Here's the thing. My friend Doug Stry, he goes out to the Boundary Waters every year. Doug caught that fish a couple years ago, I think. I don't think it's that big of a deal. But when Jonah is in this fish, as you read through chapter 2, something beautiful happens. Jonah starts turning back towards God. You see, when we are running from God, we distance ourselves from God's plan and God's will from our lives. And, and any distance that we create between God and ourselves, the Bible calls that sin. It's making a separation from the will and the plan and the desire of God. And so we push ourselves away from that. But here's the thing. Jonah starts to turn back to God. And all of chapter 2, all of chapter 2 is this beautiful response that we call repentance. It's a turning away from one's sin and back towards God. And when we get to the end of chapter 2, here's what Jonah says. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good on. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. What he's saying here is I will go, send me. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. And here's the thing. <laughs> That's not even my favorite part of the story. I think it's really important, and I think it matters, but it's not my favorite part. Because the next words that happen in chapter 3 are actually my favorite part. Here's what it says when we get to chapter 3. It says, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah for a second time. Right up front, that means God is a God who has the power to give a second chance. It goes on to say, uh, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message that I give to you. And Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. And now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. And Jonah began by going a day's journey <clears throat> excuse me, into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And the Ninevites believed God and a fast was proclaimed. And all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. And when Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne. He took off his royal robes. He covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. And this is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent with compassion and turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. And when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented. And he did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. Because of Jonah's obedience, a whole nation of people is saved. They're rescued 
You see, they had been living in this wicked way. And Jonah's bias wanted to keep all the things that God had for them away. But when he finally decides to go forward and do what God has asked him to do, these people's whole lives are saved. You see, sackcloth is a way of letting people around you know that you have made a mistake and that you want to turn back to the living God. And these folks do exactly that. They turn back to God. And here's what we can learn from that part of the passage. We can learn that it's never too late to turn back to God. It's never too late to turn back to God. I just know that as we're sharing this message uh, here in this room and for anybody watching at gethope.tv, that there's somebody who needs to hear the truth of the word of God, that it is not too late to turn back to God. And you can turn back right now. Today can be the day where you turn back to God or where you turn to God for the very first time. Because it's not too late. It's not too late. And I remember my days of running from God. And that's why this passage speaks so much to my heart. Uh, because I ain't always been a pastor. Like, real talk, I haven't. Uh, when I joined the Marine Corps, I was just like this wayward son. They talk about prodigal sons. I was probably the greatest of the prodigal sons. Like, when I left home to join the Marine Corps, I left God at home in my mind, and I went off to go fight wars on behalf of the United States. And when I got there, I quickly saw how my running was getting me in trouble. But I stayed out in those streets. I stayed out running. I got married. I had a family. And then lo and behold, this guy shares the good news of the hope of Jesus Christ with me. And it changed my whole life. I started going to church. I started spending time at church. And this guy started seeing leadership potential in me. And he started saying things to me like, dude, you know God's got a call on your life. You know, God has work for you to do. And he started this, like, thing called an ordination process that I had never heard about before. And an ordination process is basically uh, the church sees that God's hand is on your life, and they want to send you out. They want to commission you to go do the work that you need to do of following Jesus and sharing the gospel everywhere you go. And so he invited me to be a part of this ordination process. But I was like, Psh, bro, I am so Good. I don't want any part of that, man. I'm not a preacher. Does God know what I've done? Does he know how far off course that I have gotten in my life? And you're telling me like he wants to use me? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm good. And you may be here. Or you may be watching and you have that same posture. I'm good. Well, fast forward a little bit and I moved to another church. Our family moves to Virginia and we get there and, and I start serving again because I, I know clearly that God has a call in my life. You see, even when I told that guy that I was good, I knew that that was the start of my running from God. I knew that I was running. And I got to the new church. And the same stuff started to emerge. 
People started recognizing God's call in my life and sharing it with me and saying, dude, it's clear that God has work for you to do. Like, what are you doing, man? Call on your God. Do something, right? And at the time, I was serving in middle school boys' ministry. And can I just tell you, like, we always need middle school and high school leaders to step up. And I did, and it changed my life. And I remember stepping into that role, and I got invited by my pastor because he saw that same call that the original guy saw in my life. He said, hey, I want to take a group of men uh, up to this place where uh, I'm not sure if you've been before, but it's a really cool place. It's called Raleigh Durham. And I had never been to Durham before, <laughs> but I like ham. <laughs> so I was like, I'll go. And we go to this conference at a place called RBC Arena. And RBC Arena is filled with men. It's an event called Promise Keepers. And all of these men are singing praises to God when I walk in. We get there just a little bit late, and I'm frustrated by being late. And when I walk in, these men are just singing praises to God. And I'm going, look at all these dudes in here, man. Is this Christianity? Yes. It was. And the pastor who was on stage, man, he said, hey, you guys in the room who are under the age of 30, I want you to just stand up to your feet. And we, I was like, oh, boy, he's going to do something weird. But I stood up anyway. I stood up. He said, you are going to be the men who will lead the church into the next generation." And I remember thinking, man, I hope he doesn't ask me to start doing stuff. He said, I'm just going to pray for you guys, and then I'm going I'm to have you go ahead and, and step out. I just want to pray for all of you. And he prays for all of us in the room. And there's, there's a room full of guys, right? And he prays for all of us. And we get ready to sit down. He says, amen. And right before I sit down, he says, hey, 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 here's the thing. There's some of you guys in here who you know that God is calling to more. And you know like Jonah that you have been running. I don't want you to sit down. I want everybody else to sit down. And everything inside of me wanted to just sit down. But I just knew it was time to stop running. And that was the day my running stopped. He prayed for us to impact the future and, and to do God's will and to stop running and instead of being disobedient, to choose to be obedient. Because here's what he knew. He knew that there were leaders in that room who were going to help the church to grow into exactly what God needed it to be. He didn't want to let us get out of his sight. That was the day I said yes to ministry. And I stopped being selfish. I stopped running. You see, who would know that 20 years later, I would pastor a church five minutes from the place where I said yes. Who knows what God has for you? Who knows the plans 
that he has for you. Who knows who he might use you to reach? Who knows what he wants to reconcile in your life? Who knows the relationships that he wants to heal in your life by you choosing to follow his perfect will and perfect plan? But we got to get out of our own way because God is going to call us to do some things that we don't want to do. And it's okay. It's an opportunity for us to put our hands in his and let him lead the way. And instead of running, we can choose to follow God. Maybe you're here tonight and you have never made the decision to follow Jesus. I want you to know that tonight, instead of running from the things that God has for you, maybe it's time for you to start running towards the things God has for you. Maybe it's time to stop putting our trust in everything else and to put the trust that we have in the one who loves us and who will lead us towards his perfect plan. You see, even when we get wayward and we get off course, it's never too late to turn to God. That man prayed for me so many years ago, and I'm so thankful that he did, and I'm so thankful that I said yes. And I want to give you an opportunity to do the same tonight. So here's what I want to do. I want to pray with you right now. Let's take a moment and just pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your grace. Thank you for your word. Thank you for everything that you have shared with us today. Father God, as we finish this time together, I know that there are some who may be running from you right now. But I pray that collectively we would turn ourselves back towards you and away from the things that we want to pursue. And Father, if there be any who don't know you today, I pray that they would put their faith and their trust completely in you. I thank you for this time together. We thank you for all of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Hope Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this message and encourage you to share it with your friends and family. If you live in the greater Raleigh-Durham area in North Carolina, we'd love to meet you at one of our weekend gatherings. For campus locations, service times, and information on our children and student environments, check out gethope.net. To make sure you don't miss our next message, please take a moment to hit the subscribe button. We would like to invite you to support what we are doing by visiting gethope.net slash give. Through generosity of people like you, Hope can run programs like our food pantry, homework club, project classroom, and many more.